When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is still reeling from the financial consequences of possibly the dullest FA Cup third round draw ever, with one exception, which we'll probably get on to talking about. I'm Kevin Day, he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm very good, thank you, comrade. Yes, it was a, it was a, it was a shocking draw. Though, as Millwall's ball came out, Ed just went, "It's going to be us, isn't it? It's going to be Palace." And you, cause he, he, he then said, "Look, you can see David Seaman's looking round. They've really warmed the ball. The Palace <laughs> trying to feel for it. I knew it's just I can't, you're the same. It's just not a year goes by that we're we're drawn away to a Championship team." In the FA Cup third round. And of course, people will say, well, thank you, lucky stars, you're in the Premier League and you can moan about being drawn away to a championship team. But I wanted Harrogate at home. I wanted someone we could beat 3 0. That's what is 8 0. West Brom was always a good day out, though. It is, it is. The yeah, Battle of the Albions and all that, that nonsense. Yes, it'll, it'll, yeah. uh, uh, it'll be great. And you say, it's, it's, a, it's a great day out. Yeah, we were trying to. We were discussing this morning because we. It, it's not quite the same. The Millwall Palace game hasn't got quite the same free sort all. Now, now we've upset Rod Liddle, you know, Chief Millwall Hooley. It might have a bit more, <laughs> a bit more interest. But we, we were trying to work out the most dangerous route today before starting the Weatherspoons uh, at, at London Bridge, and then see what happens there. That would probably be the most dangerous place to start, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine, Kieran. Later in the show, we will hear from the chairman of Lewis FC's men's team, Stuart Fuller. Uh, Kieran went down to talk to him. Uh, it was decided, probably for the best, that uh, a Sussex loving like that didn't need a sneery little Croydon boy dropping comments in about muesli and wreath making things. There's a lot of interest in the wreath making. And people misunderstand. I had to explain to some people that the Baroness was making Christmas wreaths. She wasn't on the edge of killing you. <laughs> well, she probably was, but uh, yes, yeah, yeah, possible. <clears throat> but so, but before that, really, really interesting interview, and it's very interesting to hear the thoughts on the Tracy Crouch fan-led review from the uh, chairman of a club at that level. We do have some news, which is handy, Kieran, because it's a news day. Um, and and first of all, this first story, Kieran, has a word in it that is going to upset a certain Premier League chairman, even though it's got nothing to do with the Premier League. It's got the word independent. Oh. In it, which is which is really not going to go down well. The EFL is going to create an independent financial unit in an effort to stop clubs breaking financial fair play rules. The first question, Kieran, is: Is this a result of the, the Tracy Crouch review? Uh, and if so, why has it taken so long? Because it, <laughs> for the love of God, one of the things you've been talking about for two years is something like this with some teeth that can stop clubs doing these things that are wrong. Yes, um, 
it, it's uh, it, it's an amazing coincidence that it's come out so shortly ah. after Tracy's report. But uh, my understanding is that uh, the the big wigs at the EFL have been pushing for this, and I, I think their view will be that being seen to be taking the finances of EFL clubs more seriously will assist them when, um, first of all, Tracy Crouch's report presumably goes to Nardine Dorries and then goes before Parliament. And then secondly, assuming that there is uh, an independent regulator appointed, because if it if one isn't, it, it, it will look a bit daft. Um, then they can say, "Look at us, yeah, we're we're the good guys. Yeah, we we are yeah. trying to uh, take into consideration the sustainability of uh, of our clubs." Although, uh, you know, the critics and and the Premier League will say, "Well, well hold on, you know, the, the average salary in in the Championships eight hundred grand a year, uh, and and if your solution to that is to be given more money, um, are you necessarily addressing the problem?" Um, but also in in the articles that I have seen. There has now been talk about introducing some form of wage control into the championship, and this has always been uh, a bit of a bugbear. And, and it's actually a it, it's a bigger problem than perhaps people realise, um, in the sense that you've got some clubs coming down from the Premier League with people on Premier League contracts. Yes, they'll have some relegation clauses, but th- th- it's difficult to drive those really down. Um, and you've got other clubs that are effectively yo-yoing between the championship and league one and play um, and paying wages uh, you know 10 20% of those of the top clubs um so it's it's a funny league the championship but um it looks as if the 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 uh, the board of the EFL um are keen to have some form of wage control the problem they've got it's got to be. It's got to be approved by the the club owners, yeah. um, because uh, the it's 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 done on a democratic basis. Um, attempts to have wage control uh, this season um, were or, or last season were rejected. Um, it didn't even get as far as a vote. And if and if you recall, um, when we had Nick DeMarco on the show uh, last season, uh, the the wage caps for League One and League Two, which were imposed. Um, those those were actually rejected through through a, a legal claim um, because it had they, had they hadn't brought the PFA on board. So it's it's a tricky one, um, but um, there's there's a job going. By the way, if there's anybody listening, uh, yeah, I, I believe the odd accountant does listen to this show um, to be head of that independent financial unit. Um, it's uh, paying eighty five to ninety five k, based in Preston. 18-month contract, you're, and you'll be responsible for checking the numbers, checking the creative accounting. Although when I wrote to the EFL about the creative accounting, they, they threw my email in the, in the waste paper basket. Owners and directors tests and things like that. Mm. Uh, all accountants are odd, Kieran. Yes, that is uh, true. Uh, Apart the from ones, the ones that, that are even. The ones that are listening to this are, are even more odd. Um Obviously, our listeners will be will be assuming that I will ask you this question, Kieran. Has anyone been sidled up to you? Have you had, have you had a headhunter come up and say, "Look, this whole process, you know, with the EFL have pretended to be slightly upset about some of the things you said, but really, that's a kind of flirting thing that's been going on in that kind of way that you pretend as a fourteen-year-old not to like that girl around around the corner. Is this is this what's going on? Will you have time? 
to still do the pod, Kieran, when you're heading up this independent financial unit? Um, well, uh, as I as I am in the those that can do and those that can't teach <laughs> uh, category of employee, according to many, uh, I, I don't think I'll be the right person for the job. So, Kieran, do you know how far the remit of this independent financial unit will extend? Is it is it only going to be with financial fair play matters, wage control matters, or, for example, if the hostile takeover of Rochdale was still in process, would this be the sort of unit that would be asking questions of those people who wanted to take over Rochdale about their intentions, or is it solely limited to financial, have you got the cash, can you pay this? I, th- I think it will be linked to governance issues as well uh, in, in terms of application of the rules for the owners and directors test. Though for that, if I'm honest, you, you need somebody from a legal background as much as from a finance background. Mm. And there's always this issue with the word independent because, mm. of course, what you need is somebody who knows football. But the chances are if somebody who knows football gets the job, they will be linked to a club, which will make things difficult for them when it comes to making independent judgments. And if you get somebody who's completely outside the game, that will make things difficult for them as well, won't it? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, there are plenty of people that work in the world of finance that, that have a genuine affection for football. Mm. So um, uh, an outsider, um, yeah, there's there's not a huge amount to learn uh, in, in terms of the finances of football compared to the finances of other industries. You know, the, the core issues are, are a constant. Um, so I don't think it should take anybody too long to to acquaint themselves. And, and clearly, you know, there will be in a settling in period. Um, you know, the, the downside, the bit I can't understand, you know, it says it's an 18-month contract. Mm. Um, you know, why? You know, if, if, if I was going for a job, um, I'd be looking for a permanent contract, especially mm. if, you know, if, if it meant uh, you know, uprooting family. Um, and you know, and moving to somewhere in Lancashire, so you so you're close to the offices. Um, in terms of the salary, I'll I'll be honest, the salary is is okay. I think they're looking for somebody who's been qualified as an accountant for around about five years. Institute of Chartered Accountants would say that the average salary for somebody at that level is probably in the region of 110 to 120. Oh, okay. um, so this is this is slightly less, but football does play slightly less and also um you know those figures include people living in london and the southeast where where there's there's a premium on wages anyway mm. so does the length of the contract 18 months imply that it's it's a stopgap and that there's something else coming on or is it just the, it's a new job we'll see what happens because as you say i know there will be a lot of people listening to this going that's a big salary but in terms of the people that are already working as execs in football it isn't a big salary as you say you're not attracting the, the big hitters with that level of salary, are you? And if, if they're saying you know, five years' experience is all you need, that doesn't imply that it's it, they're taking it seriously as a position. Um, I, 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 I'm not so certain because if, if you're five years qualified, then you'll have done three years training to be an accountant. So you're going to be in your 30s um, and – you know, at, at that 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 level of remuneration, um, perhaps you would be looking for something to put on your CV anyway to to move on to to another role. But it it it's it's a it's a bit of a weird one. You you don't have to know a huge amount um, to be good at this job. You you've just got to be good at the core elements. In in my opinion, um, you know, I I I look at you know, I'm 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 a dweeb. We both know that, um, but. 
you know, it doesn't take me that long to go through a set of accounts and work out what gets my eyebrows raising and and uh, mm. and and then you just you're just putting numbers into a spreadsheet again it's not a hugely difficult task it's it's just time consuming so um I, I think for somebody that loves the sport that wants to get their toe in the water this could be a a gateway job as well uh, you know mm. after the 18 months because then you've got it on your CV um you would have had experience of dealing with up to 72 EFL clubs during that period of time and uh you know for, like the fight the world of finance is, is like many other industries it's it's all about relationships and uh you know proving yourself and then and then people will come looking for you yeah uh, one final comment kieran um just to save 60,000 plus listeners uh saying it for themselves i'm fully aware that you don't have to know a lot to do this job applies to me as well I just I could just hear people go, oh, that's, that's just like Kevin. Um, Portuguese champion Sporting Lisbon are one of eight clubs sanctioned by UEFA for financial fair play breaches. It's been quite interesting to know, Kieran. Um, I wasn't fully aware. I was sort of, you know, ironically referring back to the comment I made at the end of the last question. The difference between UEFA, FFP and, and the Premier League and uh, FFP has been an interesting one to learn. So why have these clubs been sanctioned? Right. Um, well, there's there's FFP, which is one issue in terms of have you managed to stay within certain limits in, in, in respect of your losses. Um, but what UEFA are very hot on, and I think this is quite commendable, is the, the transfer market. Um, as if, if anybody has ever... Um, exported their services uh, if, if you've worked overseas and then uh, you know the promoter the the college whatever it's going to be if they don't pay you things are really awkward mm. uh, you know I've, I've had I, I had to write off a huge amount of money um, when, when I was teaching in the Caribbean um, and that that really hacked me off but I just I've tried lawyers I tried debt collectors and, and I got absolutely nowhere um, so uh, Moving, you know, trying trying to transact between country and country can be difficult, and, th- and this is where UEFA is actually very good because it keeps a register of transactions between clubs in terms of player transfers. It knows the amounts which are due and on the due dates. And if we take a look at all of these clubs that have been sanctioned by UEFA, uh, so we've got Sporting, we've got Porto, uh, CFR Cluj of Austria, CSK Sofia. Mm-hmm. Real Betis, uh, and there's a few other clubs as well. Um, they've they've all been sanctioned for um, not paying instalments on transfers, right? and this is officially it's called no overdue payables. Um, and and this is they, they've they've again they they've got their their own little version of what the EFL are proposing. But this is this is the absolutely grandly named first chamber of club financial control body. Which appears to be a, a series of random words. Um, it's a bit Hogwarts. It could be. Um, so, Sporting have been given a two hundred and fifty thousand euro fine. Porto have been given a three hundred thousand euro fine. Um, and what they've said is that if the the payments and the fines are not made by the thirty first of January, twenty twenty two then they're going to ratchet up those sanctions um, with up to a three-year ban from European football. Ooh, and you know, right. that's 
That that, that is teeth. Mm. So um, yeah, it, it does seem that UEFA have really uh, decided to go for it to to not allow clubs to uh, to swing the lead in terms of not paying people, um, and and that's got to be encouraged. Uh, you know, so that you know, the, the the threat of uh, not not being able to play, you know, for a club like you know Porto and Sporting, they they normally get into the group stages of the of the Champions League, which can be worth up to you know twenty thirty million pounds uh, in a season. Um, I, I I did try to get my uncle Terry to get in contact with some of the people of UEFA because if the clubs involved are having problems collecting the money, he uh, he he could come in useful for them. Um, do we know the the amount of money involved? We do, do we know how much is owed by these clubs? Um, no, there's nothing. There's nothing in the UEFA report, um, and, and I think some of the some of the payments have actually now been made. I, I think one of the I think Besiktas they they had some issues which which have now been resolved. Um, so it, it's uh, it, it's it, it seems to be working the system. This it, this system interests me, uh, Kieran. Um, I missed a little bit of it because I uh, turned the microphone down as I was about to cough. Apologies uh, for the cough. I've got uh, a bit of a sarcoid issue again. Uh, and also, I'd be interested to see whether people moan more about me coughing or fiddly barking. Because apparently fiddly barking is hilarious, but me occasionally coughing in the background is really <laughs> distracting. Um, so so what? Say, say Sporting Lisbon have bought a Palace player and two years down the line... They haven't paid the money. Does this system work? Because Palace will say to UEFA, they haven't paid us. Or does this UEFA system automatically flag up that these payments haven't been made? So they, UEFA have got a giant spreadsheet of which, of course, you would approve. And this spreadsheet will, will a little red flag will appear on somebody's computer in, in Switzerland and say, well, hang on, Sporting Lisbon haven't paid that next instalment. No, what what would happen? There, there would have to be a complainant club because right, okay. otherwise, UEFA would have to have access to the bank accounts of every single club ah, okay. in European mm. football. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I can't see that going down too well, uh, especially in Switzerland, of course, yeah, where of course. the last thing they want to do is to let anybody know what's happening to their bank accounts. Yeah, they're against that sort of thing, aren't they? In general, yeah, for, yes. for historical reasons. Um, Yeovil Town are just one of many clubs I would like to have had in the third round draw yesterday rather than Millwall. <clears throat> their supporters' trust has called for all parties involved in the talks about a takeover of the club to tell supporters what's going on. Yes, um, this is another classic <coughs> breakdown of relationships. Um, for the last couple of years, since 2019, Yeovil Town have been owned by a guy called Scott Priestnell. Who, um, by his own by his own admission, is 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 not a not a Yeovil Town fan. Mm. He's just a lover of football. We've we've heard that before, haven't we? We have. Um, and uh, he he said that he wants a legacy project uh, at Yeovil. He wants to walk away from the club at some point where you know the club has has moved on to a higher level. And, and I can remember Yeovil playing in the Championship yeah. within the last decade. So they have had a, um, a you know a sad fall. They've came from come from non-league. They've been they've been very successful initially uh, in the EFL, and and then things uh, then, then things turned against them again. Um, What's happened at Yeovil is that they they didn't have a particularly great season last year uh, in in the National League, and the Glovers Trust, which is the um, which is the the Yeovil Town Supporters Organisation, um, it 
it thinks that there have been talks uh, with regards to the sale of the club. Mr. Priestnell says that there aren't any such talks. Um, he's had a bit of a grumble because he thinks that the uh, some of the uh, some of the Yeovil fan groups are boycotting the uh, matches, um, and that's affecting the club financially because attendances have, have dropped. And Yeovil, for you know, but by National League standards, get get decent crowds. They're getting around about three thousand at one stage, and that's dropped by around about a third. Um, and you know, what we need to do is is to get people around the table or around the Zoom and just have an honest conversation. You know, and, and I've had a few. Uh, I've had a few messages from people at the Glovers Trust. In fact, we, you know, perhaps we'll try and get them on the show as well for them to to put across their perspective. Um, they're concerned that there might be an attempt to uh, sell a Huish Park um, or Huish Park. I'm, I'm, my pronunciation is, is appalling. Um, but fortunately, from their perspective, it is categorised as an ACV, an asset of community value. And I think they've exercised their options there to make it more difficult for the the stadium to be sold. Um, it, it's a club with fantastic history. You know, Somerset is is a fantastic place to go to if anybody's ever been there. You know, it's been there for 125 years. It's had managers like Ron Saunders, Malcolm Allison, Graham Roberts. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot going on, but. I think there needs to be a bit more transparency. You know, perhaps if uh, perhaps if fans were allowed to, uh, you know, appoint a shadow board. Uh, yeah, but always, always that too uh, is, is that too too communist. Um, I also also dug into um, some of the companies owned by Mister Priestnell, um, including one called. Um, CV Leisure Limited, um, which which is, I think it's got its offices uh, at at, at Yeovil's ground, and um, in in its accounts in 2019, um, it showed, uh, I think it showed 10 pounds worth of net assets or 10 pounds worth of cash, which is fine. Uh, um, and then a year later, it published accounts, and then it republished them. This is this is a company which has just been going going for over a year. Um, and it says, oh, um, we've got accounting errors of four and a half million pounds. And, and to me, that's that's quite staggering. Uh, the, so, um, I, I, again, transparency, communication, governance, trust. Th- these are all words which, you know, sadly we, we, we say too often. I, th- I think those issues have to be addressed by, by the parties um, so that the Oval Town can go forwards. Sorry, Kieran. Can I just pick you up on that? As 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 you know, I am a bear of small brain. You say four million pound error. Yes, it, it was it was bizarre, um, and they had this long convoluted list of balances going up, down, and sideways. Um, the the overall impact was to uh, adjust profits by by four and a half million quid. So. It, all I can say, it, it's mm. strange. And mm. once people s- start to look at things like that, uh, we've had similar issues with Oldham. They they restated their accounts. No surprise that there's a poor relationship between Oldham Athletic and the fan base. Mm. Um, I, I think uh, I, I think the the owner needs to work out how he's going to communicate with the fan base. Yeah, every. every Everybody benefits from Yeovil Town being successful. So Scott Priestnell, I think uh, he's written an open letter. I, I don't like open letters. 
Um, they they're not they're not normally particularly open. They tend to be agenda driven. Um, so uh, uh, you know, c- commu- communication and uh, look, you know, talking people face to face can resolve an, aw- an awful lot of of aggravation. And it doesn't even matter which language you're using That's because true. there's ways of communicating using different languages. It, uh, amazingly so, as we've discovered. And hark at you talking about a shadow board. You've been reading that that Communist Manifesto fan-led review by the Tory MP again, haven't you? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, if anybody from Yeovil Town uh, Supporters Trust does want to get in touch with us, we'll be only too happy to talk, to talk to you. And for those of you listening around the world with an interest in English football, check out the history of Yeovil Town because... Back in the forties and fifties, they were, <coughs> excuse me, one of the most amazing clubs you could get—the giant killers of all giant killers. Now, Kieran, <coughs> as we as we speak, it's half time in the game between Portsmouth and Sheffield Wednesday in League One, and there are about two and a half thousand Sheffield Wednesday fans there. Both teams, Portsmouth and Sheffield Wednesday, remarkably big fan bases, mm. and have re- retained those fan bases even during the bad times. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday Football Club have started selling early bird season tickets for next season this week. And I know from looking at social media that there are a few cynics out there who have their doubts about the reasoning behind this. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think fans are familiar with the concept of renewing your season ticket early, getting a bit of a discount, um, and you feel good because... Your club has benefited. Um, you you can budget for it as well, not because you normally know when these things are coming out. Um, what what's happened at Sheffield Wednesday is that this took fans completely by surprise, um, and Maybe, an offering possibly Kieran because it's December of the, possibly, of the season. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know we've all we've we've all had to tighten belts. You know, lots of you know we've we've got fuel prices going up, transport prices going up. Um, Christmas is coming along. That's that's uh, yeah. That's, that's a big commit, big financial commitment for many families and so on. And for Sheffield Wednesday to to say, and, and it could be that they're trying to market this as some form of Christmas present for somebody in the family. In which mm. case, you know, fair play to them. Um, but if if you if you buy your twenty twenty three season ticket now, you'll get you know, th- an extra thirty or forty quid off the price. It's a, but it, it's happening nowhere else, and uh, you, you said that there's been a, you know, a cynical perspective. Sheffield Wednesday, you know, they were subject to a points deduction, which is why they're now in League One, and that's costing them around about six million pounds in in terms of TV revenue. Um, there have been issues with their accounts historically, which which, which have been a bit confusing, um, and uh, they they also last year introduced a 10-year season ticket. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing that, that, that sounds like you're pretty desperate for cash. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I spoke to somebody, um, somebody I know uh, in Sheffield, who said uh, the word on the street, and that means that a, a rumour not, yeah. is not gospel, yeah. um, was that they sold four of these 10-year season tickets, of which two went to people with the surname Chancery, which huh. just happens to coincide with the surname of the club owner. Um, mm. Now, that that could be just tittle tattle for all I know, um, but um, it, it does it does show that you know, why is the club 
in such an urgent need mm. for cash and cash flow. I, I don't think they'd sell a huge number of them. Um, and then when you look a bit more deeply, if you do get your discount, um, you, you don't have to go and pay for it all immediately, but you're not getting interest-free credit either. You know, Some clubs are spreading the cost of a season ticket uh, over 10 months and you, and they're doing it interest-free. And I think that's fan- a fantastic approach. Um, here, you're having to get the money up front, uh, and and the payment scheme, I think the interest rate is around about six and a half percent, substantially less than a credit card, to be fair. But even mm. so, you know, you're you're gaining with one hand in the form of getting a discount, but you're losing with another because if if you're doing it on an instalment basis, you're having to pay interest on that. But also, you could understand a little more if it, if it was February or March, and Sheffield Wednesday were eighth, possibly got a chance to get in the playoffs, possibly your season ticket. Could be seeing you watch, <coughs> excuse me, watch football in the championship. You'd say that's a risk you would take, but at this stage of the game, they've still got a transfer embargo. They still don't know which division they're playing in next season. The likelihood is it will still be League One. So it's a big ask, isn't it, to to, to want fans to buy a season ticket for next season with so many uncertainties going on? Yep, I I, I agree entirely. And you know, if if I was a Wednesday fan, I'd I'd probably sit on it for a while you know what mm. why commit yourself and remember you, you if, you've, if you've got a family they're going to take priority anyway <clears throat> you'd like to think so i know a couple of palace fans who would have to be persuaded that <laughs> the family should come before the club you mentioned oldham athletic and their relationship with fans earlier the club have started legal proceedings against their landlords to try and get ownership of the North Stand at Boundary Park. And there may well be new listeners to the pod wondering why a football club doesn't have ownership of the North Stand at their own football ground in the first place. Yes. Um, the the more you read about uh, what's been going on at Oldham Athletic in terms of the the present owner, uh, Andrea Lemsigam, um, uh, the prior owner, uh, a guy called Simon Blitz, <laughs> who... Uh, owns something called Brass Bank, which uh, appears to have some relationship with the North Stand. Um, the the more confused you go, and and then you throw into the fact that the local council uh, at one at one point uh, was going to to help fund a ground move uh, for Oldham and take over Boundary Park, but that failed. They couldn't they they couldn't find somewhere. I think they're looking for somewhere in Failsworth in Manchester. Mm. Um, the the North Stand appears to be owned by Brass Bank, but clearly it's it's an issue because Lemsagam and Blitz don't like each other, or don't appear to like each other. Um, the North Stand was then shut by the safety advisory group. I think it has subsequently been re- reopened, and the poor Oldham fans they they just want to, the same as us. They just want to go and watch football, go along mm. and cheer their team, uh, have have a few beers with their mates. And and relax. And, and with all of this taking place, and this this uh, the, the allegations made by Mister Lamsagam um, about about you know what what he inherited in terms of the club, um, he's reported uh, people to the police on the back of this. Uh, it, it all seems to be very messy. And, and and then you look at the number of managers that Oldham Athletic have got through under Mister Lamsagam's uh, ownership, and you go, well, this this does not appear to be a club. Which has a, a strategy, um, and you know that they are suffering as a result of it. You know, again, yeah, you know, we we keep on going on on. But, you know, we're a couple of old blokes, but 
we remember Oldham getting to the FA Cup semi-final. We mm. remember Oldham uh, in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, you know, Andy Ritchie, Frankie Bunn, they, they were a cracking team to watch. Mm. And, it's, and it's a real tragedy that you know, they are now where they are at the, at the wrong end of League Two. Absolutely. Uh, a very old friend of mine is an Oldham fan. And he will have a wry smile at the fact that you used the word relax about going to see Oldham. Um, <laughs> in the same neck of the woods, mystery... It says here, I like, I like, every now and again, you, you think guys just read a James Bond novel, producer guy, because he, occasionally he will frame a question in a really kind of spy sort of way. And this is for no apparent reason. Um, and <laughs> it says here, mystery continues to surround Manchester United's global betting partner. Um, uh, unfortunately, the mystery isn't why Manchester United need a global betting partner in the first place. Yes, <clears throat> you're absolutely right. This is a company called uh, HTH, um, which uh, United signed a deal with about eight months ago. Now, if, if you're going to be involved in global betting, you, you know, people these days don't pop along to the bookies all the time. They, no. they, they, use, uh, they, they use apps. They, they use the internet. Um, after eight months, the website's still not working. Oh. It's it's effectively just got a placeholder and, and little else. And the reason for this is that it would appear that HTH are what's referred to as a white label uh, sponsor, where they're not actually interested in getting money from UK punters. They're targeting other markets, normally the Asian markets. So oh. they will have a nominal uh, UK-based website, but in reality, they're trying to get their names across to to uh, punters in other areas. Um, and and their white label is uh, run by a company called TGP Europe, which has around about fifteen betting platforms. Uh, TGP Europe is based in the the tax haven known as the Isle of Man. So, uh, yeah, it it all starts to get a, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, you know, mm. wh- why can't it be based in Manchester? Uh, you know, that's, uh, when when people defend the Glazers, I always say, "What? Why is Manchester United registered in the Cayman Islands?" Yeah, you because know, mm. that's that's. You know, I've, I've caught the number forty-two bus from the centre of Manchester, and uh, you know, Cayman Islands is a fair way away from that. Um, now, it would appear that this company TGP Europe does have the wherewithal to to satisfy the gambling commission and and to pass its tests, whereas. It could be questioned that HTH might struggle to do so. So it's 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 effectively using TGP Europe as a flag of convenience. But we're talking about Manchester United, and we're talking mm. about you know it doesn't matter what football club you support. If if you go anywhere in the world, and, and you know, and, and I do, you know, and I say I'm from Manchester, or yeah, you know, I've lived in Manchester most of my life. They go, oh, yeah, you know, Manchester United, and then 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 I explain that I'm, I'm not a Manchester United fan, and. That they get very very confused when I when I mm. tell them who I do support, um, but Manchester United has a reputation, um, and, and you know it, if you look at the website, it 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 it, it talks about the legacy of Sir Matt Busby, mm. Sir Alex Ferguson, and all of the good things associated with the club, and. It has done many, many good things. You know, it's easy to slag United off, and at times I can assure you that I, I'm, I'm one of those people. Mm. But Manchester United has many good people working for it. This, this looks a bit sordid. This looks like it's, it's another one of those cases, and we're seeing too many of them whereby somebody comes along, says, here's a cheque. The, the club does 
relatively little due diligence or uh, just just banks the check and doesn't worry about it. We've seen it with Manchester City recently. We've seen it with Barcelona. We're now seeing it you know, with Manchester United. It, it, it just doesn't look great. Um, and the club, uh, when approached by journalists, sort of goes a little bit coy um, and gives a, you know, a, a very, very neutral response. So uh, you know, the gambling industry needs to prove that it's it's running itself correctly um and with a degree of integrity and, and things like this really don't help it yeah just as a matter of interest i might go onto the manchester metro travel website and put in old trafford to cayman islands <laughs> to see how many changes it yes. takes it's yeah. probably there's probably a smith song somewhere that involves a, a tram stopping at the cayman islands and this this concept of the white label kieran is is this a com- clearly it's 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 legal, as producer guy would like us to point out. But is it, is this a common phenomenon in in the accounting world? Um, it, it's it's a common phenomenon in the business world of of gambling companies. You see many of them uh, nominally located Gibraltar, Malta, Isle of Man, places which have a uh, should we say a, a light touch when it comes mm. to regulation um and and governance um and you then follow the the crumb trail which which tends to then go to uh places in, in asia uh because you know gambling is a is is a very uh, enthusiast enthusiastically followed pastime in, in many places in asia <clears throat> and just to follow up on comments you made kieran whatever you think about manchester united and Around about four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, it wasn't a lot as far as I was concerned. <laughs> they are one of the biggest clubs in the world with one of the greatest football traditions. And sometimes it irks me. George Best is my idol, is my favourite football player. You can't you can't love football without being aware of the history of that club and the tragedy of that club. And it's some, it irks me that the Glazers don't really seem to realise how important that history is that they're, that they're supposed to be safeguarding. And, and like, like you say, every single little thing like this just chips away at the aura surrounding that that club. And you know, I've got no love for Man United. I've got no love for any club other than Crystal Palace. But they're an important club in, in English football history and in European football history and in world football history. And they they should be better looked after than they are by the people that are currently in charge there. Um I'm talking of big clubs. Real Madrid, Barcelona and Athletic Bilbao have reportedly put forward an alternative funding proposal to Spanish football clubs in a last-ditch bid to scupper La Liga's multi-billion dollar deal with CVC. Can we start by explaining to me who CVC are? Yeah, CVC are a private equity company and uh, you know, pri- private equity is not an industry noted for its benevolence. Uh, it's it's caring about people. Um, it it just cares about the bottom line. So, uh, Sp- Spanish football has a financial crisis, which mm. it was trying to address with through its cost control measures. Spanish football was hit pretty hard by COVID, um, and what the the people in charge of La Liga did was that they went to this this private equity company who said, we will give you around about two and a half billion euros and you don't have to repay us anything, but we want 10% of your 
broadcast revenues for the next 50 years. Now, 50, 50, 50, 50 years. years. Yeah, five zero. Five zero. Yeah, a, a wow. full Hawaii. Absolutely. Wow. Um, uh, so, yeah, you, you do your sums. You think, well, that – that, that doesn't look, you know, that that appears to me to be quite a high interest rate on an annual basis. You know, I, I, I got my spreadsheet out, as you can imagine. Um, so Barcelona and Real Madrid were, were very hostile to this, but they could be outvoted by the other clubs. And mm. if, you know, you have to go, it, it's collective responsibility in terms of if the majority or the vast majority um, vote for something, then then everybody has to go along with it. Um it's now come to light that Barcelona and Real and, and Bilbao, um, they have been in talk with uh, some banks. I think think it's JP Morgan um, with regards to instead of uh, getting two billion and giving ten percent your broadcast revenues, instead they're going to borrow two billion and they're going to pay back to the bank uh, one hundred and fifteen million euros a year. So. You know, and that's, that's going to be for 25 years. So it's only half the period. Um, why they want to do that, they, they say that uh, they feel that there is there is a lot of growth potential in uh, La Liga TV rights. And given that uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are the dominant clubs, um, you can see that you can see why they would be most reluctant to go along the CVC route. Um, the, the La Liga are. Not there's, there's not a lot of love between those two big clubs and La Liga. No, no. Um, it's going to a vote next week. Uh, La Liga are saying is that if this alternative goes through, then all of a sudden you've got a load of debt on your balance sheet, and therefore Barcelona are likely to fail the the cost control measures, and they aren't going to be able to sign any players. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of politics, a lot of finger pointing, um, and uh, you know uh, Tevas at La Liga and Perez. At uh, at Real Madrid, they they just don't like each other. It's uh, and, mm. and this is this is a this is a, a a proxy war taking place through the world of finance. Uh, one more news story, Kira, before our interview, your interview, I should say. I've never been to Denmark. Um, I thought I was going once. Uh, it turned out I was going to Norway because the friend who was booking that particular away trip confused the capital of Norway with the capital of Denmark. But never mind. Long story. Um, but once all this uh, COVID shenanigans is over and I start travelling again, I will go to Denmark because it's a, a country I like the look of. I like the cut of their jib. And this last news story only adds to the likingness of the cutness of their jibness. The um, Danish Club Federation is suing the European Super League over their use of the name Super League. Absolutely brilliant. That's, that's, isn't I- that fact? That just sounds to me like the best... You, you you hear these words like if only there was some kind of translation site, Kieran, that we had that could translate some of these Scandinavian words like Higger. Um But you hear these words, and yeah, they're, they're clearly Scandinavians are a cool people. And this just this just made me chuckle. This is uh, I, I love this story. Yes, this is uh, the the Danish Superliga, which has been going since I think is either two thousand and nine or two thousand and eleven. Um, they say. Uh, hold on, uh, European Super League. Yeah, you've gone and registered a load of websites. You're, you're remember, according to Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juve, it's still in existence. Um, you're you're trying to pretend to be us, mm. uh, but as we've already established, they're not because the Danes are cool and Perez isn't. Um, 
but they they've uh, they've gone through the courts. Um, they're looking for uh, a form of financial settlement that if you want to go ahead and. When you sort of dig into what the uh, the Super League people, you know, Perez's mob are doing, that they've they've created loads of uh, website domain names, yeah, um, on, on variations on a theme, which which are actually quite revealing. I think European Super League wasn't going to be just their only Super League plans. I think they're planning for others yeah. elsewhere in the world as well. Um, but yeah, the Danes have said, well, if, if you're going to try to use this phrase, uh, we've already got it. Um, and uh, we we think that you're trying to pretend to be us, and therefore uh, we we're looking for some form of compensation. Um, now I don't know whether the rugby league boys who have also got Super League have uh, have been monitoring this because uh, you know that perhaps they could do the same. And, and and anything which winds up Perez and Agnelli uh, gets gets uh, my hat firmly doffed in their direction. Absolutely. Uh, I also like the fact that back in the day, the Danes, who you associate with kind of modesty and humility when trying to come up with a name for their their, their first division, just went, Super League? <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also, I mean, Sky. Sky seems to think they own the word super as well for some bizarre reason. Anyway, that's enough news. Um, uh, the Dripping Pan, as Kieran well knows, is, is one of my favourite football ground names in the entire world. And the club called Lewis FC plays at the Dripping Pan just down the road from Kieran. Um, And we thought it had been a while since we talked to somebody who was the chairman of the club way outside the big big clubs, even outside League One and League Two. So Kieran went along to speak to Stuart Fuller, chairman of Lewis FC's men's team, about life in general at the moment. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Hi Stuart, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you keeping? Uh, I'm good, thank you, Kieran. It's a lovely, wintry, wet day here in London. Beautiful. So, so yeah, I understand you you live in London. Uh, historically, you're a West Ham fan, but you're involved at, uh, at at the top of Lewis FC. So, how, how did that come about? <clears throat> so, I um, I sort of fell out of love with West Ham um, around about the time that the Sullivan and Gold. Um, took over and an amazing, uh, an amazing coincidence. I'm completely, sure. completely. Um, and whilst there were some good stuff going on on the pitch, um, I used to take my uh, eldest daughter, who's now 21. Um, I used to take her to games, and I just didn't feel it was a, a nice place to be introducing somebody to football. And um, I've always um, travelled to watch football. So for you know 20 odd years, I've been around the world watching games and one of my friends who who I I met 
through doing something similar, um, Danny last, suggested, hey, why don't you come down at this little club um, not far from me um, called Lewis. You can have a beer. The football's terrible, um, but it's good laugh. So I, I went down um, and this was the season that, that this was Lewis's pinnacle um, on the men's side, certainly, where they had one season in the um, what is now the National League. Um absolutely um, way out of their depth, were relegated in March. Um, but it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. And um, <clears throat> the following season, you know, I went to more games as they, they dropped down to step two. Um, but I was aware the club was in a little bit of financial peril, um, partly down to the global financial crisis, partly down to um, sort of previous management overspending significantly on budget. Um so there was a group of um, six six guys that are called the Rooks 125. Um, they took the club into community ownership uh, back in 2010. And uh, I thought this would be an interesting story to follow. So um, I followed them for a season, um, home and away, and I wrote a book uh, about them and got so engrossed that um, that following year they had their first ever um, elections to the board as a community club. Um, so I applied and and was elected on the board. And that was October 2011. Uh, and I've been there ever since. Um, I became chair of the club in 2015. Um, was in the job for a week before I fired my first manager, uh, <laughs> which was good fun. Well, no, not good fun. I'm, I'm still good friends with the... Um, one of the or the assistant manager who's actually managing in step two now, um, but yeah, it's it, it's a roller coaster ride. It's it's opened my eyes as to how football is run, um, but still great fun. Terrific, terrific. So so you're you're presently in the Isthmian League. Uh, the men's team is fifth. The, the women's team is WSL two. Um, yeah, around about mid table. Um, I think Lewis it, it got a little bit of publicity for, uh, recently for for saying that the men's and the women's team are going to be paid the same because they're they're, play, they're, yeah, they're, they're both playing for ninety minutes. Um, how, how did that decision come about? Well, I think it's um, one of the things that Lewis has done over the last ten years is realise that you can't just be another football club. Um, we we compete not only on a Saturday with you know, with Whitehall, with Eastbourne Borough, with Hastings, uh, with with Brighton. Um, so we 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 realised we had to be doing something different. You know, I, there's a, a marketing adage I've always used, which is um, get big, get niche, or get out. And you know, we're in we're in a a beautiful little town. Lewis is a fantastic, the county town of uh, of Sussex. Um, but we we compete on a Saturday at three o'clock or or a Sunday at two o'clock. With the cinema, you know, there's five minutes away. There's a there's a mm. fantastic cinema with restaurants, with shops, with the beach. Um, so we had to do something different. So we decided that we were going to significantly invest in in trying to get our women's team to play at the highest possible level. And one of the areas where we saw was, well, that's not going to be possible unless we're in investing in the team. So sort of 2016. Um, we started having these thoughts as, as a board um, and we worked out the commercial models as to how we could do it and, and we realised we could do it. Um, and so we went in July 2017 and, and the, the concept is that both our men's and women's first team squads have the same playing budget. 
Now, that doesn't mean to say that they use the same budget, but both managers have exactly the same amount that they can spend every single week. Um, and in that first season, we introduced it. A lot of people said, well, you know, this is just a, a publicity stunt. This is a ploy. Um, our women were given a license to play in the, the women's championship. Possibly, I, I would say that we were the, the rank outsiders to be given that spot, but we did it. Um, and the men were promoted. They they actually topped the league, I think, for 35 of the 38 weeks of the season and only lost the the title in the last week of the season, but still got promoted. So, um, yeah, a pretty successful move, I think. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And, yeah, it, it certainly uh, – I, I think it is a step forward um, and I, I can imagine other clubs will be looking on. I mean, in, in terms of – the objectives uh, are the managers given broad targets, or do the are you as a board have a broad target, or is your focus so much on being a effectively a community club that providing services in terms of health, education, and so on is the uh, is the forefront of your thoughts, and success on the pitch uh, is is desirable but not essential. First and foremost, we want success on the pitch and we want to be playing a, a brand of football that is attractive to watch um, and, and gets people coming back. We, we know we can't win every week, but but we, we also know that if we have a team that is set up to play good football um, and we've got a good pathway coming through, um, then we will attract fans. Now, our, our objectives this year, um, certainly for the men's side, is to finish in the, in the top five, which is playoffs. Um, and we've uh, we haven't been we haven't finished in the top five at, at step three um, for somewhere in the region of fifteen years. Um, for the women's team, you know, unfortunately, we, we, we're in a, a, a league where only one is promoted, so it makes it incredibly tough. And mm. if you look at last season, Leicester City were promoted and, and had all but won the league by January. Um, so it's tough. This year, it's a little bit more open. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're currently sitting in a good position. Um, we had a disappointing defeat uh, in the middle of November to the bottom team, Watford, which if we would have won, would have seen us up into second place. You know, the, the Super League is, is very much in our sights. We want to be playing at the highest possible level, which for the women is the Super League. Uh, and for the men... Well, I think that's a that's a difficult one to answer because as you go up the leagues, you you have to look at becoming professional. There's, mm. you know, the, the dripping pan is a fantastic place to watch football, but it's not a place as it is at the moment where you could watch league football because of the rules around what is acceptable in terms of ground grading and ground facilities. But I still think that we would want to be. Um, this year is the stepping stone. Um, the first of of many stepping stones, I hope, to be playing at higher levels. Yep, yep, terrific, terrific. Uh, I mean, and I mean, uh, uh, yeah, for the for the sake of honesty, um, you and I have met at the Dripping Pan uh, a, f- a few weeks ago, and, and you you were telling me about the club, and uh, and you know, I I've been to Lewis on other occasions as well because I I live not too far away. Um, and for anybody that's not not been to to non league football, it is. A completely different experience. Uh, you know the fact that you can you spend half the time watching your football, and you can have a good chat with somebody, and you can have a pint and and a pie whilst watching the game. So you know, I'd certainly encourage people who 
who think twice about it to to give it a go. Um, in, in, you, you, you said you know you're, you're at the grassroots of football. Um, have you had time to take a look at the uh, the Tracy Crouch report into governance in the game? And and do you think uh, it, it's, it will be beneficial to grassroots football if three if some of those recommendations go ahead? Uh, yes, I actually um, uh, presented in front of uh, the panel. Um, I've known Tracy for a number of years. She's she's a, a very big non-league football fan. Um, she was involved for quite a long time at Chatham Town, um, who are now at Step Five. Um, and as as we are a community club, we were asked by the um, FSA um, to take part in a in a session to um, uh, to the panel. Um, and we spoke about a number of things. We spoke about um, uh, look at uh, equalising prize money for cup competitions. We looked at um, some of the, um, the the rules and regulations around owners and directors tests. Um, that was a big one for me. And also a- about that wider community ownership for football, which um, we, we get the fact it's not a model that will work for everybody. Um, but having more fans involved in the in the administration and 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 the running of of our game, I think, is essential for the future. So that was something we really, really um, tried to drive home, and also about you know levels of community engagement and and encouragement to to the government to to look at the way in which football is funded, um, so that there is more funds that can come down to improve facilities. You know, I'll give you a really good example, Kieran. Um, uh, we don't own our ground. Our ground is owned by um, the council and they they rent it to us and we have a fantastic relationship with the council. The car park just outside the ground um, has an issue when it rains a lot. Um, mm. And what happens is the car park floods and the water, as, as you remember, the, the dripping pan is, is below ground level. Yes. It flows into the ground and it pulls in one place. So... If we were to, ha- if we were supposed to have had a game last night, we wouldn't have been able to play it because of the rain down in the south yesterday, um, and it flooded part of the pitch. Now we would love to have um, proper drainage put in that, that can solve that problem, but if we look at the, you know, in the context of how important is that for us? Well, we haven't had a game called off in, you know, two years because of uh, of the water. It's it's a it's a very rare occasion. But to have the funding to come down from higher in the football um, pyramid to improve that, which makes the pitch better, um, would be would be fantastic. And I think that, that that we're not unique. A lot of clubs at our level have these projects that they just can't fund. But if they could fund them, it would make the club a better place for the local community, which then means that they can generate more revenue themselves, which then means they can start improving some of the other facilities as well. Yep. Yeah. So it's 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 a virtuous circle. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. That, that to see to me, Stuart, that doesn't sound particularly Maoist or like North Korea. <laughs> um, whereas, according to chief executives of Premier League clubs, that's what you're suggesting. So you, you know, I, you're a secret communist, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm thoroughly in agreement. Uh, yeah, have, having having community clubs at the heart of the local town or, or village or whatever it's going to be uh, make, makes a huge difference. Um, and and many people who are now in the professional game started off at non-league or were released by academies, went into non-league and, and then bounced back. So, so they do serve this, this absolutely essential purpose. Um, 
Uh, just, just moving away from uh, from from Lewis's football club. Um, in your in your day job, you're involved in piracy, or rather, stopping piracy in relation to corporate entities, including football clubs. Can, can you just explain a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I will. I work for an organisation called um, OPSEC Security, um, and OPSEC. Um, are involved in um, protecting brands online. So whether that is protecting a brand's um, um, physical merchandise from being um, counterfeited, whether that is stopping um, fraud and and phishing attempts, um, and also um, working with rights holders to, um, I'd love to say eliminate, but it's, you know, you're constantly against the against the odds um reducing um uh pirated content online and that's that's that could be written things that so could be you know university papers and uh and 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 theses or it could be streaming of, of football matches or rugby matches or cricket um all of these things they, they damage revenues they damage reputation um, there is a link between this activity to uh, organised crime, um, so it's a big thing. But in terms of anti anti piracy, yeah, it's it, it's a tough one um, because if you compare, say, for example, anti counterfeit, someone makes a fake football shirt. Um, actually, you have a little bit of time to try and find those fake football shirts and then trace them back to factories that are making them with. Um, Pirated content, especially with regard to streaming, it's it's in the now. It's you know, yeah. if you find it in an hour and you ask a social media network to take it down in another hour, it's irrelevant. The the game or the event has finished. So it is a constantly moving um, challenge, uh, and one that there is a lot of technology that goes into um, uh, the rights holders and, and the platforms they're producing, but also in terms of the analysis and the intelligence behind trying to find the source of these um streams or or this pirated content right right it sounds sounds pretty concrete because yeah i'll be honest um yeah like most blokes of my age um i'm in a variety of whatsapp groups and it could be that on some of them at three o'clock on a saturday afternoon people might say uh where, where are you watching the match this afternoon? You know which stream, yeah. and that and that has become part of modern culture, um, mm. and, and it must be quite a battle to to try to 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 overcome. Yes, it is, and and what's really interesting is there's this this wider argument um, that you try and think about in terms of the blackout period. Let's let's take football. So, sadly, the blackout period's in place. Yeah, and the blackout period is in place, and it's been in place since 1962, I think. Um, to protect the smaller clubs from everyone going to the pub and watching a game rather than going to the stadium down the road. And I sort of get that. But what's happened now is there's so many uh, ways in which you can watch a game Mm. that it doesn't matter what time the kickoff is. You know, the the blackout period actually, um, it, it... in some ways it harms clubs rather than hinders them still. And, you know, our, our, um, uh, our situation at Lewis, for instance, is we're still, we're still covered by the blackout period. We can't show our game 
Um, and would it impact our, our fans? You know, we had eight, 806, 860, I think, on Saturday. If we were showing that, streaming that live, would that have an impact? Probably not. Mm. Um, but on the counter side, if we were if we were streaming it, potentially someone could pick up that stream and then share it and share it and share it, and then all of a sudden you you have a an issue with the with the rights protection. So it is a it, it's an interesting argument, but um, certainly one that the broadcasters at the moment are trying just to focus down on on stopping the the core people. Um, sharing these illegal streams right yeah that yeah that makes sense I mean, it, it, it is it is a double sword I've, I've always likened it a bit to to glastonbury you know I've, I've always got the choice of watching glastonbury on my television on bbc2 or streamed on the bbc each summer um or i could go and and that's the same for everybody else but Glastonbury sells out within five minutes every single mm. year. You know, if if the product is good and it's a unique experience, you, you want to experience it live. So, I, it, I'm never convinced about the three pm blackout argument. Um, I guess it it would be more difficult for you. Let, let's say you know it's you know, we're in December, it's pouring down outside, and if uh, if 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 the blackout is removed and Sky are showing you know Manchester United versus Chelsea. At mm. three o'clock on a Saturday, some of your fans are going to think, "I'm going to sack, I'm going to sack off going to Lewis," um, and, and I'll, I will. But I, th- I think those tend to be the the more peripheral fans. You know, you, if you're a Lewis fan, you're a Lewis fan, and you go and mm. watch the match. As a Brighton fan, you know, if, if there's a chance for me to watch my team, um, I always take up that option. And, and quite often, you know, given the nature of supporting a club which which is in a division which which a lot of matches taking place at weird and wonderful times and and there are alternatives uh, being being broadcast live I, I wouldn't think twice about it so i it it is it's a genuine tough one and and i know that the premier league clubs are keen to to ring fence 3 p.m. Uh, 3 p.m. Saturdays for for direct to consumer broadcasts rather yeah. than to go through the premier league uh, mechanisms itself so yeah, genuine challenge. Now, I also believe, Stuart, that you are friends with a hero of mine, the Swiss Ramble. Is this true? <laughs> um, yes, uh, I've known uh, the other Kieran um, for a number of years, um, probably going back, I don't know, twelve or thirteen years, um, and have uh, been uh, been out for beers with him uh, when I've been in work for. Uh, in Switzerland, and actually, um, I think it was this—it was this summer was the tenth anniversary of our infamous trip to watch young boys play West Ham in the <laughs> Urian Cup competition, which was in this tiny little, this absolutely tiny little village in the middle of nowhere in Switzerland, um, Grenchin, I think it was called, um, and it was a four-team tournament. Um, uh, and it was quite amusing because we'd sort of we'd gone there, and um, uh, it was quite sleepy. There were a lot of West Ham fans, maybe like five hundred fans went. And then uh, it was Allardyce's first game in charge, and, and West Ham lost. I remember that, but I remember the walk back to the station through this picturesque, tiny little village in the middle of the mountains, and just coming the other way um, were the two other teams' fans. 
who were playing in the next game, which happened to be um, Hertha Berlin uh, and Basel. And there must have been about 10,000 fans coming the other way. So we just Uh ducked into this little bar and pretended, you know, um, that we weren't there. Um, But, yeah, he's he's a good lad. He... um, uh, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I haven't seen him for a few years because work meant that I, I no longer go to Switzerland anymore. But um, yeah, he's a good lad. Right, right. Okay. Well, well, I've been trying for two years to get him to come on the show, but he's. Uh, I, I, I think he's, he's, he prefers to be shy and retiring. But we're, we're, I'll never give up. Never give up. He, he's, <laughs> uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's the Doctor Evil to my mini me in the world of football <laughs> finance. Um, and if it wasn't for him, I certainly wouldn't have got involved to the extent I have. So he, he's my absolute hero. Um, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stuart. If, uh, if if people want to find you on social media or get hold of you to talk anything about Lewis or piracy or otherwise, um, what, what's the best way to find you? Um, so Twitter, I am the ball is round. Um, uh, as the same on Instagram as well. Uh, and then just Stuart Fuller on LinkedIn. Um, so if you want um, uh, things about anti-piracy and anti-counterfeiting, then um, there's also the web is round um that's that's the other one that's the that's the non-football one and the football and sport one is the ball is round okay that that will that will absolutely delight kevin because we've we've had this argument uh in in the past few shows that uh the ball can be egg-shaped according to the oxford english dictionary um <laughs> and to say that kevin's bottom lip was out when uh, when i read that out to him is is, is somewhat of an understatement <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Thanks very much, Stuart. Take care, and um, I'll be down the dripping pan soon. Right. Thanks, Kieran. Kieran Lewis are a, a great example. I know we joke about you know Sussex being hipster central, etc. But Lewis, I believe the first team, possibly in the world, certainly in in, in this country, to pay their women's players the same amount of money as their as the men's players. Absolutely right. But it's also really interesting to hear, as I said in the intro to the whole pod, the views of somebody at grassroots level about the Tracy Crouch fan-led review. We've heard a lot of noise from Premier League chairman, so it's really interesting to hear from somebody who made a deliberate decision to cut himself off from Premier League football as a West Ham fan and start enjoying himself at the level of Lewis FC. Yes, um, and it was uh, it, it was it was good to good to have a chat with Stuart. I've I've been to the dripping can fan myself. Um, it, it it's it's a different experience to, to watching mm. Premier League football, but different doesn't mean worse. And you know you you have a, a great time. It would be fantastic if the the contribution that the clubs at this level make to their 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 local towns to the local communities was taken into consideration. Um, no, nobody's trying to stop Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea from being successful. Um, it's it's just tilting the balance a little bit more mm. in in towards those people who are doing good seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And um, Lewis f- first came to my attention was Patrick Marber, uh, who's a friend of mine. Uh, now a playwright, was a very funny comedian, was part of the fan-led consortium that first saved them. Um, and right back then, you know, part of the whole concept was that we will, you know, this club will be different in attitude to a lot of other football clubs. And it's refreshing that that's happened. And it, they've actually, uh, you know, saw, seen those promises through, haven't they? 
Yeah, because I mean, as Stuart said, uh, you know, in, in order to survive, you've either got to be bigger or you've got to be niche. And yeah. Lewis yeah. are niche. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and there's, there's also, uh, for anybody that ever fancied, yeah, it, it is a very, very quaint town and it's, it's, it's more Brighton than Brighton. Uh, oh. In terms of hipsterdom, oh. uh, it, it's it's got a fantastic brewery. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend the place for for, for anybody who, who just wants to have a different experience. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's a good recommendation, Kieran, uh, TripAdvisor. No, please note, but except of course, you put off every single Palace fan from going there by saying it's more Brighton than Brighton. <laughs> There's nothing you could have said. If you could have said it's like a non-Brighton version of Brighton, there'd be three thousand Palace fans going down in the next couple of weeks. Um, Thank you for listening, everybody. Apologies for the, uh, uh, the the throat issues and a couple of sound issues early on, which were mainly my throat issues. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And, of course, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, on our Monday questions pod, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. And I'm looking forward to seeing which language he delivers it in. <laughs> um I'll I'll use the queens uh, for, for this one. Um once again folks uh thanks for all your support thanks for your messages uh you know we we uh we, we do we do appreciate that you you take the time to keep in contact with us. Um if you if you want to support the show just by giving us some good karma. Um all you need to do is to go along to your your app on which you listen to the show and give us a review, give us five stars. That helps us in the charts, that helps produce a guy when he's when he's trying to talk to the guests and and persuade them to uh, to have a chat with two old geezers. Um but uh yeah it doesn't matter what you say in the review. You say if you can give us five stars that would that be grand. Uh you, you could say it was you'd you'd rather have the show hosted by Dame Cantani Greek Thompson and David Watts from the song David Watts. <laughs> <coughs> can we have people from songs? Oh, I hope so. I'm, oh, I'm, okay, I'm going yeah. to see. Uh, I'm going to see from the Jam next week. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to see hearing all those songs again. And Dave, oh, David Watts is just such a wonderful song. It is. A, it is a fantastic song. There's no doubt about that. All right. Love, thanks, love it. Well, as I say, it's like saying goodbye to the postman. All right, thanks, mate. Merry Christmas. <laughs> lovely to talk to you as always, Kieran, and lovely to have all you people listening to us. Uh, I think we're in a situation, Kieran, where we can announce that we are uh, having a Christmas quiz. Yes, yes, we are. Um, yeah. It is taking place on Tuesday, the 21st of December which mm. will be just in time for anybody that wins the prize. It's not that we've got any prizes at present, just in time for them to miss the Christmas post. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I should send out the prizes for the people who won the last quiz before we do the next <laughs> quiz. But there will be more details to come, and we look forward to your company. It's something we always love doing, uh, and so we look forward to that very much, and we can all celebrate Christmas together. In the meantime, bye, everybody. Bye. The prize football. Bye, son, for football.